Hello, and welcome to The Feedcast, a monthly podcast created and sponsored by Relay Network. As the feed technology pioneers, Relay Network feeds harness the engagement power of social and news feeds for businesses and the people they serve. I'm your host, Tricia Gabberty, and in The Feedcast, we will hear from cross-industry experts who will share their approach to driving meaningful and powerful customer engagement. In under 30 minutes, you'll gain usable insights and strategies from informative discussions with curated subject matter experts. Hey, it's a new month, and that means we're ready for another episode of the Feedcast. I'm your host, Trisha Gabberty, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by an expert in omnichannel marketing with an emphasis on digital and customer engagement, Mr. Kane Fair. Kane is the Group Director of Engagements, Health and Wellness for Gray Global Group. Gray Global Group ranks among the world's top advertising and marketing organizations, serving one-fifth of the Fortune 500 across 86 countries. Kane formulates effective and business-driven digital experiences and activations across an array of channels for brands of all sizes. From event-based micro-campaigns to worldwide digital communities, Kane has immense knowledge and understanding of the digital space and how omnichannel, social, and elevated user experiences can drive specific brand goals and objectives for some of the world's largest brands. Kane, I don't know if that brief description even does justice to your level of expertise, but we are thrilled to have you joining us today. You know, I'll take it. It sounded pretty good. So I'm happy to be here as well. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, So I wanted to just jump on in. Um, You mentioned to me in a previous conversation that your digital background began with the early days of social media. Can you take us through that journey and share what lessons and best practices you're still turning to today? Yeah, so I started my career, you know, in advertising, but not necessarily down any specific path of um, strategic direction, right? So when you start off in advertising, you're more so just in like the account world. I have a background in graphic design and entrepreneurship. So I think that lended myself pretty perfectly to figuring out how the world of social media could work. And Early in my career, I had an opportunity to jump on a a pharmaceutical product, marketing pharmaceutical product that was one of the first brands to really look at social media as an avenue for marketing and advertising and reaching out to individuals that had, you know, that specific disease state or maybe someone who was affected by that disease state. And we use social media as a tool to bring to life these stories, um, these amazing testimonials of success from this this product because it felt like the right place to go. At the time, though, the FDA wasn't really in tune with how social media would be working for the pharmaceutical world. So we had to kind of navigate that alongside our clients and alongside the FDA earlier on to really make sure that what we're developing was something that was approvable and also uh, effective for our communication efforts. You know, that was back in 2015, I believe, maybe. And now today in 2023, I'm still very actively pursuing brand uh, strategic direction on social. And a lot of those um, avenues that we initially found effective for that campaign in 2015 are still effective today. Um, Obviously, with the introduction of multiple new platforms and capabilities and ways of ways people are turning to social media, we've, we've optimized. But I think it's really interesting to see the power of story, the power of testimony, especially in the health and wellness space, and also tapping into the humanistic or authentic um, part of advertising that many of these platforms that we go to, especially on digital platforms, kind of lack. And social media is one that can really amplify that for a brand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that about um, the FDA and being cautious because, I, I mean, same with alcohol sales, right? I mean, it was a very long time in coming that they would allow um, alcohol to be, you know, put on TV with all the regulations. But I can imagine in the world of healthcare, um, just how bigger, you know, and more mm-hmm. more serious that that leap is. So, what, just I have to segue just one quick current posting that I had seen, and I think that you were very much involved with, and I'm going to get this wrong, but is it the sound, the sound of cancer? The most beautiful sound. The most beautiful sound. And it was a campaign that Gray did uh, that you, I believe, were heavily involved in. As people are going through their treatments, they get to hear kind of the sound of that chemo killing those cancer cells. And yeah, that is the most beautiful sound. So can you just share a little bit of what that experience was like? Yeah, it was a, an incredible. Our strategy team, of course, you know, led by numerous individuals at Gray, kind of identified this really interesting piece of research or scientific difference that the sound of specific cancer cells that are being attacked by a therapy or getting targeted actually make different noises or different sound wavelengths and wavelengths. So we were able to identify across a variety of different types of cancer cells, what that sound actually was. And working with uh, Harvard and and multiple um, medical individuals, we were able to effectively find those sounds and develop a experience that we called the most beautiful sound. That was a digital experience that was launched at ASCO um, about a month ago, where all the leading oncologists and also patients were there to experience live for the first time. And, And they were able to go in and hear how a specific cancer cell sounds when it's actually, when it's dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really interesting um, idea because we hadn't, nor had our clients ever seen anything produced in that way. And, you know, we, we think of social media, especially as a very visual driven platform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these experiences that we do, especially on the creative side are oftentimes visually driven. So this one bringing in the element of audio and bringing to life this, incredibly emotional, impactful storyline in something so simple, but so massive at the same time was uh, incredibly amazing, incredibly effective. So from my standpoint, what, what I was leading the team was how do we most effectively get that story out there? You know, we have this incredible idea and we have this um, incredible activation point at ASCO. Uh, it was up to me to figure out and alongside the team, of course, to figure out, how do we take that moment at an event and amplify it to make it a culturally relevant experience for anyone that isn't boots on the ground there and can go to the website and hear these sounds? Whether you're a cancer patient or not, the idea of cancer dying is culturally relevant to almost everyone. Everyone has someone that they know or you know, indirectly know that has gone through something as harrowing as cancer. So this was a, a way that we could creatively bring to life uh, a really emotional, impactful moment that the cancer industry and oncologists really gravitated towards as something that was uh, very moving and, and relevant to them. Yeah, it just it stopped me um, in my scroll because I, I thought, wow, you know, I recall just sort of a parallel several years ago, there was a company in France, another agency, I guess, um, or a pharmaceutical that using the 3D images allowed a blind woman who was getting a sonogram of her unborn child, they were able to print out that, that form 
Right. right. So she could experience what other moms to be experienced. So when I saw yours, it, it just, and I have to ask, cancer is such a bully. Does it go out with a whimper? I mean, I'm just curious to what that sound is like. Yeah. If you haven't, if you haven't gone to the website, it's, it's the most beautiful sound.org and you can go through and hear okay. each one of these. I think there's seven different cancer types that are being destroyed and each one has a different note. And you can hear the stories of the patients that are connected to that pan- cancer type and the impact that that sound has had. And the most beautiful sound symbolically, I wouldn't call it a beautiful noise, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily what we were going after. I mean, we're, go- we're going after the raw, the real, the way that it came across um, scientifically versus making it a melody. Right. So it's a really interesting noise, but it's one that has had amazing impact um, within the cancer communities and just the cultural impact that it's had globally at large. As, as you said, it's, it's, it's culturally sound across the, the globe, mm-hmm. right? And I think um, anytime a brand can, can reach out and, and form that relationship and form that um, emotional bond, you know, you're going to get that level of retention and loyalty and just that credibility. So I, I wanted to ask you this question as it relates to consumerism, right? So in healthcare, going back to that, that relationship, that expectation, and there are many companies out there still not getting it right and some getting it right. And I think from the consumer standpoint, they're very used to this frictionless transaction or engagement with many companies and, um, you know, as a customer. And when a patient is driven by their experiences in other consumer industries, how is that same frictionless experience going to be carried over or can it be carried over to their healthcare providers? And are you seeing this as a trend or? Yeah, that's, that is one of the biggest challenges and opportunities that I think we have, especially in my work, in my field that we're trying to create this, as you said, seamless, easiest, um, but most effective way of gathering and providing information to these individuals who are going through potentially something stressful, intimidating, confusing, overwhelming. Um, when you think about purchasing something on the consumer side from, you know, all the cookies that come through on your search queries into something like Instagram where you're served up an ad, you can immediately click through that ad to purchase. And then on your Apple pay, if you have an iPhone, you're pretty much doing that entire thing within three or four minutes, if not less. So when we look at the health and wellness space, and especially when we're looking at um, the healthcare space and, and, and how these individuals who are going through, let's just continue down this cancer route, get diagnosed with cancer. How do we, provide them those touch points, what we call moments that matter. So how do we provide these touch points along that journey from the first day that they unfortunately hear this information all the way through therapies and checkups and payments and meeting other people that are going through similar paths that they're going to and resources for them, their care partner, and all those little moments within how can we tell that story from a brand? I think you referred to it as the parking lot moment. Yes, exactly. So we, we consider that the parking lot moment, which is you you go in to your doctor's office, you hear the news of whatever has happened or whatever you're diagnosed with, and you're walking out of the doctor's office probably with 20 different pamphlets and a foggy brain because you're so overwhelmed. The first thing that they do is they get to that parking lot where their car is parked and they either go on Google, they go to Facebook. And obviously there's different routes you can take depending on the person. Mm-hmm. 
but they all they want to know is what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be okay? Has anyone else gone through this that has seen success? And from that initial touch point, it then sparks what we call this omni-channel plan. We have the initial touch point that we know that they're searching for specific information. We as a brand or as an agency can help alleviate those stresses and spoon feed them those moments that will help guide them through the questions that they have in their mind or what they're searching in the form of education, in the form of resources, in the form of storytelling, in the form of connection. And throughout that journey, what we're trying to do is identify digital opportunities for the most part that can really drive decision in a way by by virtue of education or by 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 matter of education or also helping them with financial matters also helping them with anything that comes with the healthcare system or identifying a product or a therapy or the questions to ask your doctor or the questions to talk, talk to your loved one about right other resources group support that type of exactly thing. And what's interesting is what we talked about earlier, where, where this all started was social media. So we talked about social media and how at the time, in the early you know, 2010s, 2015-ish, that wasn't necessarily a resource for brands to help guide that conversation. But now it's one of the leading platforms where people are going to, to connect with others, to hear the stories, but also to gather information and to gather resources that can be relevant, hyper-relevant specific to what they're going through. So... In keeping with all of this, are, are there consumer brands whose approach to customer engagement in the digital and social channels can you can kind of leapfrog them into advertising and social channels for pharma? I mean, just I'm thinking about all the regulatory, you mm-hmm. know, kind of limitations around that, and and how do you? And I think there there are a few, and your current campaign um, is certainly one of them, where you can kind of squeeze through that. I have the needle there and, and, and maybe make it through mm-hmm. to form that bond and to know that, yes, the, this, you know, this company turned me on to these resources. They turned me on to, you know, the questions to ask my provider, those types of things. But are there other more mainstream consumer brands that you're able to borrow tactics from or strategies from to help with that? Yeah, I think because it's so regulated, um, on the, on the healthcare side, there's two avenues that we normally go around or go down for healthcare advertising. There's one that we call unbranded, which is essentially disease state education and resources for people that are within a patient population that are looking for information or inspiration to guide their lifestyle. Then there's also the branded side, which is once you're either considering or on a therapy or on a device or what have you, we provide you the financial assistance, the patient support that are other patients that are on that therapy, the information, the education on that product. So the product side is much more regulated in the sense that you have to have the prescribing information, the important safety information relevant, two clicks away, all these things that are the standard and mandated formula for uh, approvable pharmaceutical marketing. So on that sense, it's a bit more restricted Mm -hmm. to how and what you can do. But on the unbranded side, it it frees it up a bit. So when we look at, we talked about the most beautiful sound, that is an unbranded campaign. So that is not tied directly to any sort of product or therapy. It's just a disease state activation around cancer. 
what you're asking, which is a really good question, is how do we derive inspiration or how do we derive examples to activate on from leaders in the space outside of pharmaceuticals? And we do that all the time. Our social media team is split between consumer and health. Mm -hmm. So we're actually next set virtually up or in person sitting next to the consumer team that's doing all the social media and, and engagements for large-scale brands that have nothing to do with health and wellness and are quite limited in restrictions. And we gain inspiration creatively from them all the time, not only in how they're leveraging certain capabilities of platforms, but also just the creative execution and thinking and what new ways of identifying um, engagements across all sorts of digital properties. It isn't by any means a one-to-one match. Like we can't pick up something that our team at Great Consumer is doing and say that would be great for a pharma brand because there are so many restrictions, but there's definitely a mind meld that we have. And the beauty of what we do is we take inspiration from all sorts of avenues to help activate and uh, drive change where appropriate in the pharmaceutical and health and wellness space because what we're trying to do is change the way that our patients are kind of gathering information and getting inspired and getting pulled through the system in a way that makes most sense for them. Right. And we, we had touched on this also in our previous conversation. So that's terrific that you're able to, to draw in these other touch points that I, as a consumer slash patient can, can reach for um, even within those sort of restricted regulations. However, we talked about engagement being a two way street. Right. And I had a, another guest on a couple of months ago, also in healthcare, and he talked about how difficult it is to start the, the mindset change of some providers who are legacy providers, um, and also just connecting the dots between the pharmaceutical company, the healthcare provider slash doctor slash insurance company, pharmacy. You know, how, how do we connect all of that and how? What trends, I guess, do you see? Two twofold question. First of all, how do you better educate on the brand side and on the provider side as to what the consumer is actually facing and, and kind of shake things up a little bit there? And then the second part of the question is what trends are you seeing um, that is that will open that up to have that engagement really kind of a, a true two-way street? Yeah. Yeah, part of, again, part of what we do is constantly challenge the status quo in a way that makes it more effective for our, for our patients, our customers, our, our doctors to receive appropriate information and experience appropriate information. Um, you know, within our team, we have behavioral strategists that are constantly looking at how these target audiences that we're going after, our core audiences that we're trying to, to communicate with are gathering information, what types of platforms are they over-indexing for, for engagement? What types of platforms are they looking immediately going to for certain types of information, which helps us remove some that maybe are the traditional ways of thinking, i.e. direct mail, i.e. Mm-hmm. newsletters, i.e. what have you, and then refocus our efforts in areas that are a bit more digital or it doesn't even matter what they are. They're just more friendly to how those our target audiences are looking to gather information. And oftentimes what we see, especially in the health and wellness spaces, our clients not necessarily are stuck in their ways, but they are, they're marketing um, and advertising 
roadmaps are often built off of the other brands within their network. And oftentimes those people or those brands have different needs for the personas they're going after, but also different digital um, focus. So what we do as an agency is we have to help identify where we want to put our emphasis down for the brand. And oftentimes that isn't necessarily a traditional way of thinking. And with that comes a bit of a challenge and, um, you know, hand holding their medical and legal team down a path to make sure that they understand why we're recommending something like TikTok. Like mm-hmm. TikTok in two years ago, three years ago was not a platform that we would be going to, to engage with doctors. But now, whether it be because of the pandemic and everything shifting toward digital or not, those are the, those are the avenues, the platforms that we're looking to identify to drive marketing in because that's where a lot of the times these people are going to for information. But the medical and legal team at times has hesitancy to jump into those new platforms because it's not the traditional way of thinking. Right. So we have to dance that dance with them, pull the, the strategic reason in as to why we're recommending it alongside how we can activate their um, in a way that's compliant and help tell our story appropriately. Um, and as you talked about earlier, like where do we find these opportunities for like a two-way dialogue, mm-hmm. which is extremely important for what we're doing. When we look at social media, and this is something that we've been pulling through since the first time that I've ever activated on um, social for a pharmaceutical brand is across any other platform, you can have effective ways of marketing or communication. You can have banner ads that tell a perfect story that drive you to a video that you can watch that drive you to a newsletter sign up that you gather monthly or quarterly emails and then go to a, a live event that you can hear about a specific topic. That flow of data or information is incredibly effective. But what it doesn't allow you to do is have a two-way dialogue or a back and forth from brand to user or even from user to user to really truly understand how and what they're, they're looking for and the types of information that they're um, interested in getting. So what took us traditionally weeks or months to shift the way that we're putting information out there with social media has now allowed us to gather in real time these moments that are kind of driven by the needs of our audiences and our community to then repurpose content and put it back out in the world that's directly affecting in a positive way their lifestyle and their needs from what they're actually going through as a patient. Mm -hmm. So social media has been one of those platforms that unlike any other one allows us to have that pulse and allows us to have that communicative um, back and forth from brand and user where no other platform has allowed us to do that. And that's so critical, right? Because we're so, as a culture now, um, as a society, used to this sort of instant gratification. If it takes more than two seconds to load, we're, we're, you know, breaking out in a rash. And I can just tell by my personal experience on a medication I started a few months ago, everything was disconnected. And I found a, a forum and I found other people on this medication. And as I kept reading, you know, from 30 years ago when it was introduced to now, there's a certain side effect. And I called the manufacturer and they said, oh, this is the first time we're hearing that. And I'm thinking, and I thought, well, why don't you go to some of these forums online mm-hmm. and scrape that, right? So, of course, I'm speaking to the intake nurse who's, okay, we're going to pass the information on. But I think it's so critical to any of the, the pharma or healthcare marketers who might be listening, you know, take a look at some of these, of, of these pieces of feedback that you're getting through the medical um, team, right? Because there's something there that needs to be addressed that you're, that you're missing, Right. And, and it's just, it's so frustrating. 
Yeah, it is. It is one of those things that we try to drive here is, of course, it's everything we're doing is for the patient, right? Everything that we're doing is to better the lives of someone going through something. But we are also a partner through that. Mm -hmm. So where we can drive the most success, not even from a business standpoint, but just from patient success is truly being able to be seen as a partner versus someone who's pushing a product. And where you can do that very effectively, as you went to as a great, we'll call it a case study, you went somewhere because you needed an answer. You didn't go to the product because you were, let's just say, pushed aside or put into a queue, where if done appropriately, a product can be there available on those platforms to help quickly turn around an answer, or at least drive you to a resource that would be effective for what you're trying to get an information from versus just saying, thanks, we'll get into it. Yeah, 100%. And that's a really interesting avenue that we're constantly evolving due to the regulations and due to the um, safety mandates that come with understanding that if we see an adverse event or product complaint or any of those things, we are we are responsible for submitting those into the appropriate MLR um, portals. So it's that coupled with how do we want to provide the best possible experience mm -hmm. for our patients. And those kind of all mend and mold into an opportunity that requires, you know, risk and reward for what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. Knowing that it's such a regulated industry. Yes. I, it was surprising to me to find out on that phone call that, well, this was approved 32 years ago by the FDA. So there's no looking back. They kind of, they, you know, the medical trials came through clinical trials. We got approved. It's out there. And what I found also fascinating back to your point about having those resources, there I am on the manufacturer's site and I had to dig, right? Because it's not the new shiny drug that, they, that they're marketing right now. So I had to dig to find this medication on their site. And when I clicked on it, everything was outdated and there were no, Hey, check this form or check this board or ask these questions. It was, you know, it was information yeah. from 30 years ago. And I think that that's a real miss because, you know, what I'm, what I'm um, dealing with now is kind of an everyday disease that other women are going to be diagnosed with. Right. And it's, so keep it fresh, keep it current, right? And and I will give one shameless plug for um, Relay Network, who is the producer of um, of this feedcast podcast, and they offer um, a scrolling technology, a feed technology, where I would get an encrypted link on my phone, and I can click, and I can be brought into my own compliant and confidential, um, you know, communication with with that brand and given content that brings me to other places. And while my doctors and providers are very helpful in terms of, you know, they'll email me through their portal and I can go back and forth. It's just kind of clunky to do on the phone and you got to get on your laptop. And I just, I wish that they would adopt that tool because I think even though I am not the most tech savvy, when I think of other generations older than me, um, the idea of having to go down and, and contact your insurance company and the provider, and then they send you to the specialty pharmacy. And if English isn't your first language and you're not, you know, perhaps maybe the most educated in, in medical or don't ask questions, you're lost. And it's, it's really such a, a, a sad commentary on, you know, this miss that's, that's being done. But I think that you are in your way and, and through what you and Gray are 
accomplishing with your partners. I think you're you're slowly making steps and inroads towards that engagement and, and a better, you know, more optimized mm-hmm. experience. Exactly. So there's so many channels, right? A lot of brands do miss still that omni-channel um, experience and go just for one. And the one um, example that as I was preparing for this that came to mind was a Super Bowl way back where I think I'm pretty sure it was Frito-Lay and social was just on the uptick. I want to say it was 2010 or something like that. And they decided we're putting all our eggs in the social basket. We are not running an ad for the Super Bowl. And it failed miserably for them. So can you just kind of remind all of us the importance of Omnichannel and, you know, it's not just digital. Of course they did that for the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, of course. It's just a, a, that is a classic, but and, and to, to that degree, social for that ex- example was probably and should have been a priority channel. But to put it all in one basket seems seems a bit um, skewed. So as we think about whatever that campaign was trying to achieve, you're always going to have, even if you have a very niche market, you're always going to have individuals that are gathering information and engaging with content in a different way. So when we think about putting all your eggs in one basket, yeah, there should be priority channels and an emphasis in certain platforms based off of how your users are engaging and what platforms are going on. But to only put emphasis on one is not the right approach because as you think about it, whether they go to big TVC, like a TV commercial, or, or just keep it in social or have certain activations that are living in digital platforms, the ability to have a surround sound approach while having some emphasis in certain platforms is the most effective way to go. Um, especially when you think about day of, so we'll, we'll say Super Bowl day of, you're activating on social. Super Bowl is what, a three hour event? Mm-hmm. And maybe the, the priming up to the Super Bowl and then following the Super Bowl, there's a lot of chatter on social. But where you can actually start to see a lot of wins is following those peak moments or leading up to those peak moments to drive interest and adoption or also to drive um, further activation or adherence or what have you, depending on your product. So with that, it might not always be a single singular platform that you're looking to do that on. So there can be email follow-ups, there can be banner ads, there can be website updates, there can be larger social initiatives or activations or on in-person activations at the event that can drive a longer tail of um, communication or longer tail of digital marketing that can benefit your product or the campaign objectives that you're doing beyond just a single platform. So whether it be a PR stunt to say that they did their first campaign ever on social only, or whether it be a, um, a miss on them from not understanding the impact of an omni-channel approach, who knows, but all is to say, you know, certain cultural events like the Super Bowl should be a very socially driven approach with the understanding that there are multiple layers that can drive strategy or drive success that can help elevate your social experience or continue your social conversation further, even if it's not just a social only approach. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Um, I've only really ever dealt with omni-channel campaigns. I did have a boss once who felt very strongly that outdoor was the only way to go. Um, and there are others who I think have fallen off. I've seen great success in a, in a turnaround, believe it or not. This is in the New York market maybe seven years ago, where one of the channels they overlooked was radio. And, you know, they, they fell for the, the sizzle of, of 
um, cable TV, but of course they were on the same channels as like catfishers. So mm-hmm. I nixed that and instead put it into into radio, and um, and we saw an uptick. It was a it was a B two B ad, and you know back before the pandemic, a lot of us were driving to work and driving into the city and what have you. So um, I hear you. It, it no matter who your customer is, you have to meet them where they are, right? And and cater to whatever their preference is. Um, and again, even if I am finding you on radio or finding you on social, but then I do sit down to watch the game or I read another magazine article a couple of days later that shows that there was an on-site event to amplify the communications efforts. It's, it's still that stickiness in my mind, right? That brings me yeah. back. I just wanted to be mindful of time and I'm looking just, we covered things like getting inspiration from other teams within the agency. And then while it may not always be a one-to-one match, uh, there's certainly inspiration there that, that you can learn and borrow and maybe mold a bit to fit purpose. Uh, you talked about checking your brand roadmap as it relates to your consumer's need and not all the legacy channels are the ones that are going to work and that we have to be mindful with our clients of informing them that, hey, there's a different world out there now and being mindful of just generational differences. And I guess that's one question I would ask you is that that balance between boomers, boomers plus, and Gen Z. And when you're trying to talk to that expansive audience, is there, does that just go back to your omni-channel? And- exactly. So what we'll do is, persona. it's not a single persona, we'll have derivatives of that persona. So that we're going after, we'll call it patient A, has three or four kind of subgroups that we know that based off of where they are uh, in their medical path, we can activate certain channels and oftentimes that's age related Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's regionally related you know if we're going after certain global regions that are over indexing in certain channels over others um so it's getting down with what we have at at gray is such an amazing team where they can they can really identify down to almost a one-to-one ratio like where these people are at certain times and touch points so we can develop those pieces of content that make the most sense um, but there are generational differences, as you mentioned, where and how they're gathering information. Radio, for some, as you just talked about, is where they get a lot of their information. But if you think about audio, a little we skew younger, probably we're going towards podcasts. We're going towards mm-hmm. influencers. So you just have to really be aware of there's no one size fits all. And to the best of your ability, that fits within your strategy, that fits within your budget, to really identify as I said earlier, those moments that matter and be able to actively provide uh, information to our audiences that we're going after in those specific moments that matter. And those will be on different channels across their omni-channel experience. All right. I absolutely agree. And um, yeah, I'm just checking my notes here from everything we've talked about and just bringing bring it full around. I, I love that moments that matter. The parking lot moment to me was just, I felt when, when you first mentioned it, just kind of struck me um, because I think, you know, as a human being, we can all relate to that, no matter what that parking lot moment might be, right? The text we get, the call we get, the diagnosis we get. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon or talk about in terms of just healthcare experience, you know, engagement or digital? Yeah, I think one thing that I would say, and we kind of touched on it indirectly across this entire conversation is 
we're dealing now more than ever with a shift in behavior, especially in the medical fields of how doctors and patients are expecting to gather information and have direct connections with each other. You know, historically, we've seen these doctors um, stay in practice for 20, 30, 40 years and are oftentimes stuck in their ways of how they're gathering information. And, and it may not be the most relevant or it may not be the most effective way to help their mm-hmm. patients. So one thing that we do, and I think it's extremely important, is to provide the doctors the most relevant information so that they can be on the pulse of everything that's happening in the medical field, but also provide the patients not only the information, but the confidence to go in and have strong, fruitful conversations with their doctor so that in the middle of that, we can marry the best effective way to help them where what we've seen in the past is the patient kind and oftentimes this still happens the patient will walk in doctor's office whatever the doctor says is what they're doing versus doing their own research understanding a bit more about the disease state understanding their options going in with the you know maybe a list of questions or a confident um way of thinking about something and not challenging the doctor but just having a conversation with the doctor and doing that earlier than later because when you do that, you have, you are able to create the best possible result on educating the patient and educating the doctor and having something meet in the middle where they will identify the best path forward. So I think in the, in the medical industry and especially in the farm industry now, as we've been talking about, it's up to people like myself, people like you, people like all of us that are understanding that shift and providing the best route forward for those products, those brands, or those organizations to help guide and drive that shift in how we're dealing with medical. Um, I mean, your example is a perfect one where you hit a, you hit a roadblock and it was a very frustrating time. That shouldn't happen. You should be able to get a resource. You should be able to get information, whether that be digitally or from your doctor. Um, So I think as we continue to, to charge forward, there will be, Restrictions, of course, but it's up to us to constantly challenge and um, push the status quo of how we're dealing with medical information and how we're dealing with medical advertising so that we can provide those patients with the best possible life as quickly as possible. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about with the with the two-way street in terms of communication, right? So I'm one of those people that will research to like, I want to know where my doctor went to kindergarten. Like I start there and go all the way through. Um so when I walk in and I present myself and say, this is what I'm dealing with, this is what I have, da, 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 and you know, some of the doctors will get that wry smile. And, and I, I try not to say, look, I'm not, it's not Dr. Google, right? Because just because it's on Google doesn't mean it's true. However, mm-hmm. it can prompt you to think in a way of, well, why, why are all doctors prescribing this particular medication now? Right. And, um, it just it just just prompts that conversation, and I think it's helpful to the doctor for us to walk in, knowing ourselves, knowing what we're feeling, and being able to say, "Hey, you know, I've already, I've already just you know, discarded this or this because it, it, that doesn't fit who I am." Just to help mm-hmm. the doctor form a better picture. But to your point, also, I think the doctors have to be a bit more open to the person's emotional state the person's educational level, you know, all of that, just to be able to make sure that they're, they're giving that proper treatment and that proper kind of rapport. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, well, we've cured the world's ills today in this conversation for sure. Um, <laughs> I do appreciate your time, Kane. I thought it was fascinating. I, I just, I'm going to keep an eye on on you and keep watching all of the things that you're doing. The, the most beautiful sound.org. Definitely want to give a listen. Um, but I do hope you'll come back again. I think it was a fascinating conversation and I thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Feedcast, created and produced by Relay Network. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes and give Relay Network a follow on LinkedIn. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Relay Network, nor should they be taken as legal advice. We recommend consulting your own legal team when considering your customer engagement strategy and practices.